Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. So good to have you here with us today for episode 370 of the Speaker Lab podcast. I am excited for my conversation today. We're going to be talking with Mr. John Jantz. He is an uh, incredibly successful author, speaker, expert in the industry of all things speaking and marketing. And he is here to share uh, specifically how you can blend speaking with book writing and uh, add that to your speaking repertoire. Now, John is going to be unpacking the, the challenges of the past 20 months and in this COVID world. Also going to be talking about why virtual is here to to stay and kind of some of the things that he has been seeing. Now, John is also someone who's really leaned into remote opportunities actually pre-COVID uh, really for the past decade. So he's going to share his advice on generating leads and delivering polished and engaging content to grow your business in this online and virtual world. Also going to be uh, talking with John about his new book, The Ultimate Marketing Engine, which is actually John's eighth book. And so whenever it comes to leveraging book writing to grow your speaking business, John is absolutely a guy that we want to be paying attention to and learning from. He's also going to be giving insight on publishing, distribution, and just the overall process of bringing a book to life. So if you've written uh, one book, none books, or eight books or more, then uh, definitely some stuff that you can learn here from John. My time with John is always uh, reflective of just the, the timeless resources and decades of wisdom that he has to share. And so again, whether you're in the throes of writing and speaking, or you're wondering if it's time to add another spinning plate to your balancing act, then uh, I promise this episode is for you. So here's my conversation on writing your way to speaking success with John Jantz. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we are joined by Mr. John Jantz, who's been a guest on the show before. Good to have him back on the program. He's got his seventh book out. We're going to be talking all about uh, books and speaking and how to blend the two. And uh, nobody better to talk to than, uh, than John. So, John, thanks for uh, joining us and welcome back, man. Well, I appreciate you having me back. I must have not failed completely um, the first time. You're a legend, man. Always, uh, you're always welcome here. So seventh book, new book is the ultimate marketing engine. We were just talking before we hit record. Uh, why do you keep writing books? Books are so much work. <laughs> you know, they are. I mean, I, I guess when, when your books sell, I mean, one of the polls is that you've got publishers saying, when's your next book? When's yeah. your next book? So there's a little of that, um, which it's a good problem to have, I guess, but there's no question. I mean, one of these days, my dream is is to rent a cabin somewhere in in the mountains and and just lock myself away for three months and be able to write and yeah. develop it, you know. But instead, I got a day job while I'm writing these books, which you know really makes it even tougher. Uh, I, I mean, part of the reason probably this book now um, certainly does. Uh, I, I mean, I signed the contract for this book March fifteenth, twenty twenty. You know, I'll give everybody wow. about three three seconds to remember what they were doing March fifteenth, twenty twenty. Yeah, and. Uh, 
so I was like, gosh, I, I kind of have an idea what I want to write about, but I, I, you know, how's it not going to be colored by what's going on? And yeah. I, I actually um, saw what, you know, I still serve clients every day. And I, and one of the things that I really saw from a lot of my clients, the, uh, the, the, the ones that really survived and, and frankly thrived uh, during this last period had one thing in common. They were very close to their customers. They, they were meaningful in the lives of their customers. Uh, we had uh, customers sending out emails saying, hey, don't come into work. <laughs> Employees, you know, we're stopping all projects. And, and then immediately seeing people say, hey, it's the right thing to do. We're with you. What do we need to do to, you know, to support you? And, and I think that that's always been true, certainly. But, uh, but it, it really, to me, uh, shone such a bright light on that that's, you know, that's what we have to do as businesses. Uh, the ultimate marketing engine, as I say in the first probably hundred words is a successful customer. We have to yeah. think in terms of not just transactions, but you know, how can we be the transformation in the lives of our, of our ideal customers? And that's really what ended up informing and coloring this book. And, and certainly um, I, you know, the last 10 years, I work with businesses every single day. It's been about 10 years since I put out a strict marketing book. And so yeah. I felt like there was some new things I needed to say. Well, you, you are someone who has your hand in a few different things. You, you write books, you speak, you consult, you have certification, you have your hands in a few different places there. And so I want to zoom back out for, you know, if we go back the past 18 plus months or so, how did things really transition for you, uh, especially as it relates to the speaking part of your business? Yeah, so I, I do have a, a diversified business, so to speak, and and obviously in 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 a time like this, when one of the revenue streams gets hit really hard, it's kind of nice to have a diversified right. business. I mean, I have courses, I have consulting, I have a network that we train, I have a podcast that that frankly, uh, you know, does uh, has has some great sponsorship, and so. Right. The speaking part, like most speakers, uh, went away for the most part. Uh, certainly, the large conference stages and companies doing, you know, their distributors, uh, and, you know, sitting in seats. I mean, that just went away completely. And uh, I really feel for you and I both have uh, many good friends who that was their primary source of income, if not their only right. source of income. You know, a lot of the books and things just supported that <laughs> that speaking yeah. uh, gig for them. So a lot of them really scrambled. A lot of them uh, really pivoted nicely to the virtual world. That was another thing that probably helped us through some of the period is I, I've been virtual for at least 15 years um, in terms of, of doing a lot of training and doing a lot of webinars and even serving our clients that way. So it really wasn't much of an adjustment. Uh, there, again, no question, the speaking part of it uh, did, did dry up. Uh, it it seems, seems to be trying to make its way back. The, the, the live big stages uh, are at least planned for September, October. Let's knock on wood and, yeah. and, uh, and hope they actually occur. Uh, but uh, you know, all in all, we were able to uh, expand in some ways, you know, by not speaking, by not traveling and all the things that come with it, I was able to spend a lot more energy on this book and spend a lot more energy on, on serving really our best clients. We, we actually grew quite substantially with some of our best clients. Yeah. You mentioned that you've been doing virtual speaking to some degree for the past 15 years or so. And it seems like pre COVID that virtual was, was something that, you know, it kind of existed, but it's something that event planners didn't really take seriously. Right. Speakers didn't really take seriously. It happened, but it just wasn't that common COVID hits and it becomes the only option. So it really yeah. becomes a, a, a much more heightened on people's radar. How do you see virtual speaking fitting into your business going forward? Well, I think that it will, as you said, it was, it kind of had fallen into the realm of free or speaking for leads yeah. or like 
uh, referrals. I mean, I've, you know, we've built a substantial amount of our business by going on other people's platforms and, and, and speaking, yeah. uh, which is great for business. I, I, you know, I tell people all the time, it's great to get paid whatever to speak, but you know, if you get three clients and that's worth several million dollars, that's okay too. Right. <laughs> so, right? so, so I think there's a lot, that's why we've done it, you know, virtually for 15 years. But I do think that um, a couple of things have happened. Virtual used to be kind of the freebie, the throw in. And so production values were equivalent in a lot mm -hmm. of cases. And now because people are like, look, I'm going to pay you maybe half of your on stage, but I want a good show. Um, so, you know, a lot of people that that really relied on that, uh, you know, are now, now doing virtual with three cameras and virtual cameras that allow them to do all kinds of graphics and things and, and you know, sound effects and videos uh, and, and really kind of thing that would, you know, you might see at a TV station, you know, back right. in the day. Um, and so, so I think what that's done is that's had people go, you know, this is okay. This is a, this is a good show. These people know how to do a virtual show. This presenter knows how to engage one-on-one, -on -one, which is effectively what we're doing yeah. in a virtual show, as opposed to one to many that you might do from a stage. And so, like a lot of things, people got used to using QR codes for menus now. And yeah. so it's going to be a behavior <laughs> that sticks. And I think I think that there will be a percentage of virtual that always exists now. The expectation is going to be high that you have a you know very polished uh, presentation and and that you are engaging and that you understand you know how to do it uh, virtually. But I think there'll be I think there'll actually be money in people that uh, that that choose in some cases to stay there and maybe only do the five big you know shows for their full keynote a year yeah yeah good thoughts uh okay let's transition for a second let's talk about you know with the new book coming out like we were talking about before you have uh you have you you've, you do a lot of speaking you have had multiple books at this point and so there are speakers who they do a high percentage of, of speaking and very little on the book side. And it's just kind yeah. of an afterthought. And those that are primarily an author who ah, speak on the side every so often. How do you kind of think of that for yourself? How has that evolved for you? Are you a speaker that happens to have books? Or are you an yeah. author who happens to speak? Uh, how, how has that changed and evolved for you? And what does it look like today? Yeah, I suppose it depends on what day you ask me uh, yeah, what's going fair. on. Because, uh, you know, one of the things that I at least attempt to um to strategize is that all of the various things i'm doing should support each other yeah and and so there's no question when i go and speak i mean they have bookstores and people go well, that person seemed to know what he was talking about i'd never heard of him before but i'm gonna go buy his book <laughs> excuse me so so there's no question that that those two can support each other and then if obviously if somebody who hires speakers sees your book on a bestseller list they're like i've never heard of this person before but i'm going to track them down and and see what they do in in the the world of speaking the podcast, the, the blog, you know, the newsletter that I have all allow me to promote uh, that I have a new book. Uh, we take books and turn them into workshops, very, very common <laughs> consulting uh, type of practice. Uh, we have a network of independent marketing consultants who we license our IP from the books to. So I, again, I like to think that, you know, as we're analyzing, should we do X, that, uh, that, that we're, we're seeing, you know, what's the impact, what's the integration uh, between these things. But I, you know, I, I don't think I would wake up on a day and say, I'm a professional speaker um, as my only way to think about what I do. I, I really like to think of, of what I've done is built a brand yeah. and uh, duct tape marketing is a brand that people can experience in different mediums in different ways.
Again, every speaker does it differently, but for you, does the, does the speech come first? Does the book come first? Do you huh. kind of workshop ideas? And then yeah. like, okay, once we get some of that, that real time feedback because once you put it into the book, it's really hard to, to do a second yeah, yeah. edition of the book with updated and what yeah. you've learned. So what, how, what kind of order and sequencing do you go with? Yeah, that? I think for me, it's always been because I'm a practitioner. Um, I am constantly working on book ideas because I'm constantly working with clients in the real world. I mean, all my books, yeah. anybody who's reading my books, they, it's not research theory. You know, I, it is, it is definitely like I try these things and they worked. So I'm yeah. going to write about them. So that's probably the genesis of anything I write about is it's stuff I'm doing. And then by virtue of doing it, I'm teaching it uh, to other people, you know, our network of consultants, for example, I'm constantly thinking of ways to help them evolve and grow. So then those things probably become a book, yeah. you know, once there's, there's enough uh, momentum behind them. And frankly, you know, not all speakers would like to hear this. Uh, not all speaker trainers would like to hear this, but the speech for me, a lot of times comes after the fact. It's like, what, where's the, in this book, you know, where's the keynote in this book? I, I definitely, uh, because, it, and again, maybe it's because I'm promoting my brand. I'm promoting the book as much as anything when I speak, um, as opposed to, you know, looking at ways to get on the biggest stage possible. So for you, it's because oftentimes what happens is someone will come out with a book and then they will speak on that for the yeah. next, you know, year or two, kind of like right. a, like a band would do, you know, you sure, release sure, the album yeah, and then yeah, you tour right. with that, that yeah. album for the next couple of years or something. We're going to play, we're going to play a couple of our new songs now. Yeah, exactly. So like for you, when you're, when you're coming out, like with this, you have the new book, Ultimate Marketing Engine out. Or yeah. as it, as you're working on it and kind of getting near, like, okay, I know when this is coming out. Are you thinking through uh, I want to start incorporating this into my talks. I want this to be the keynote that I'm offering now, especially with you, where you have a, a catalog of seven different books. Are you offering speeches for all of those or how does that all fit together? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, early on in my career is like, what do you want me to talk about? I'll come talk. Right, sure. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, and, and, and this was always the big one. You see this all the time. Can you customize your talk for us? And I was like, sure, I'll do that. And, and what it did, what it really meant was every time I was giving a talk, it was the first time. Um, and that's really not a good look sometimes. And so yeah. over, I don't know, the last five years or so, I've locked into two or three topics. And and I like to think I've gotten better at delivering those. And and they, you know, I, I know the, the impact that they have and the punch they're going to give. And certainly for this, uh, this latest book, uh, uh, the, the keynote that I'm giving is called uh, Rethinking the Customer Journey. It's at the heart of one of the big ideas in this book, but it's also sort of a compact and attention getting. Um, yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm going to be on five or six state. Well, I don't know when people will be listening to this, but in the, in the early fall of 2021, I'll be on five or six very large stages, uh, giving this speech, hopefully pretty darn close to the same, you know, five or six right. times. Yeah. One of the things you, you mentioned there is you, uh, again, as a brand, you speak, you consult, you write, you have the podcast, you, you have your hand in a lot of different things. And so I think for a lot of speakers, especially early on, we want to do all of the, all of the things, yeah. but we have to realize we can't do all the things at once. And so something's going to come first, something's going to come last. And so how have you kind of navigated that over your career of when to add something else yeah. without kind of like, when do I add a second plate spinning without yeah. impacting continuing the momentum of the first plate spinning? Yeah. I wish I had a good answer for that because I, I mean, it's not like I mapped it out, you know, it just, there was a time when it felt like, Oh, this is a, this is a new place to go. I mean, I started my podcast really 
early on. I mean, I've had my podcast since 2005 and I started it more as an extension of my blog as a way to, to really be able to reach out to people I wanted to talk to and say, yeah. Hey, I'm a member of the media now. Um, that grew into a big part of the brand that grew into a revenue stream, but um, I didn't go into it with that in mind. I think that, that as I add things, um, my, my thinking on adding things is um, I'm probably slow uh, to add. Uh, quite frankly, uh, I had publishers come to me and say, when are you writing a book? I was like, oh, I guess I will write a book now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm sort of slow to add things because I probably have my hands in too many things, quite frankly, um, which, which does... You know, you could certainly make a case for saying if in 2005, I'd have basically said, I'm shutting all this other stuff down and putting everything into podcasting, you know, podcasting alone would be a multi-million dollar business uh, for me, but they all have kind of kept the brand uh, elevated. And I really just, I, I look at new things, they got to fit first. And then yeah. is it a natural evolution? One of the things we just recently created was a certification course for marketing managers. So our consultants were going into organizations and finding that they had one or two marketing, um, you know, hires, but nobody strategic. Uh, and so we're now doing the strategy for them, but also leveling up and training the, the internal team that they have as well. That just came about because we just kept bumping into it as a need. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's probably a little bit how I analyze uh, layering things on. Yeah, you touched on it a little bit there, and I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more as far as uh, when you're looking at potential opportunities of, you know, pre doing consulting and someone asks you, hey, would you mind consulting? It's one thing to do like a one-off thing here or right. there, but uh, is there any criteria that you kind of run through in your own mind of going like, again, more than just a, a one-off thing, but hey, I, I could see this being a, you know, an additional leg to the stool yeah. of the business. How do you kind of determine whether or not it fits the criteria of whether or not it makes sense. Like you're someone that I admire and respect to someone who uh, you've built a successful business, but it's also, you know, you recently moved to Colorado just because you're like, I want to be in the mountains, you know? And I, <laughs> right. and I, and then, so it's not just a, how do I build the business, build the business, build the business, but like my lifestyle comes first. And yeah. then we're going to do this business thing on the side. So how do you kind of, you know, balance those and determining what to add and what doesn't uh, and not to add? You know, as hokey as this sounds, uh, early on, my, my mission really was serving small business owners. And that's why I've stayed very true to that, that demographic. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. Uh, me and uh, a lot of times I like to think that instead of looking at something and saying, what's the opportunity in that? I really look at things and say, you know, how could that help me serve who I'm already serving better? Um, and that that's a good filter yeah. to, to keep, uh, keep you reined in because there's, there's, you know, it's probably five opportunities in my inbox since we started talking that I could chase. Um, but, but that to me has always been a really great way to kind of filter, even when the next social media platform pops up, you know, yeah. rather than looking at it and saying, I want to be an early mover. I look at everything and say, could that help me serve who I'm already serving better or yeah. not um, as, as a way to analyze it. And then we definitely do have a, a fairly strict criteria of who we believe we can add value to. I can't help retail stores. I can't help e-commerce, you know, plays. And we tell them that upfront. I mean, we don't, we don't chase that or think, yeah, they, they said they'd pay us. So, you know, how hard could it be? I mean, we know who we can deliver value to. And so we, we, you know, there's, a, there's certainly must have things, but there's also a lot of ideal uh, attributes to a, uh, um, an ideal client for us. And so you get good at that. And, and you start realizing, no, the opportunity is, is in serving them better as opposed to chasing the next new deal. 
Yeah. Uh, I want to come back to book sales for a second. So uh, when you create a book, you obviously want to sell it as much as possible. Some of that's going to happen just organically through Amazon or maybe in a bookstore, but as a, specifically as it relates to speaking, are yeah. you, are you pre-selling books to clients trying to get them to buy a copy for every, every attendee? Are yeah. you selling back of the room? Yeah. Walk us through kind of how books fit in selling books fits into yeah. your, your speaking. So, so you know, in a book launch, and this is very typical, um, you know, I, uh, authors are very willing to, in some cases, I'm very willing, I'll put it that way. I'm very willing to trade book sales for my fee mm -hmm. uh, during this window of, of launch. And so I, you know, most of the speaking gigs I'm doing right now, they're buying anywhere from as little as 200 uh, to, to a thousand books, copies of the books to give to attendees. And frankly, if they were going to pay me that fee anyway, which is about what they would, would pay me, uh, they get a great deal because they get me to speak and they get a tangible asset to give away to their attendees. So it's, it's a really appealing thing, I think, for a lot of uh, show organizers. In other conferences, I'm, I'm speaking or I will have spoken by the time people hear this uh, at Content Marketing World. You know, they, they do the traditional, you know, it's a very, very large conference tons of speakers, but they do the traditional bookstore, um, uh, you know, for attendees. So you know, I'll have five or six of my books there in the bookstore. Obviously at my speaking event, I'll, you know, hopefully convince some people that going to the bookstore and buying my book is a good idea. Um, I don't have never really in there and I'm not, um, opposed to this idea, but I, I've never really spoken at an event where say I was in charge of the books. And so uh, yeah. they came and I spoke and I said, you know, go meet Tom back in the back of the room and he'll take your credit card. I, you know, I know a lot of people do tremendously well with that approach. It's just yeah. never been one that I've had the opportunity to do. And it may be because I've stayed in the, you know, I speak a lot of manufacturers with their distributors or associations, and that's just not the style of, yeah. of those kinds of events. Gotcha. And so pretty much if you're going to be selling books via speaking, it's going to be pre-sold from the client. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. Now we're doing a lot of, I mean, I'm one of the things that I'm heavily invested in, and then this really, uh, to me, this amounts to, you know, speaking uh, in the same way is that I, I'm, I'm going to do eight or 10 uh, very, what I think are very large, you know, 500 person webinar events that uh, um, in some cases, the, uh, the sponsor will buy a couple hundred books. Um, but in other cases, they just, you know, really promoting very heavily to, to the attendees as well. And, 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 you know, from that, we'll come away with thousands of new subscribers, you know, to, uh, to our email list, as well as uh, hopefully people, uh, you know, enough people that attend those that, uh, uh, that feel like, uh, yeah, they ought to go grab that book. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step -step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. 
So right now, while you're in book launch mode, uh, you want to pre-sell as many copies as possible, especially whenever it comes to speaking. But just on a, you know, you take a book like Duct Tape Marketing that's been out for years and years and years. Uh, you are invited to go speak somewhere. The client has expressed some interest in the book. Yeah. How do you kind of think about pricing of, hey, if you, you know, if I, if I come and do, you know, one presentation, you can get books for this discount. But if you, yeah. if I do two or three presentations, right. you know, you can get an even better discount. So is there anything that you do there to kind of package and bundle things together? Um, you know, I have over the years, I, I really don't that much anymore. And, and, you know, but duct tape marketing is 10 years out. So, um, I, there's less interest, especially when you come over the new book, they want the new book. Sure. <laughs> and so, um, so there's less interest in that. I certainly did do that exact approach you're talking about. I had a, I had a pretty interesting deal just for book people out there that are interested in this, what you can buy your books for. If you, if you publish with a traditional publisher, what you can buy your books for is a negotiation piece. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, for duct tape marketing, I actually negotiated a 75% discount. So what that means for, you know, traditional publisher, uh, you know, I, I may be able to buy my books in a traditional contract for 15, 20% off of the, the wholesale price. So, I mean, I still, if I've got a $10 book, I'm probably going to still have me to buy it for myself for an event. It's probably going to be seven bucks in there uh, that I'm going to have to pay to, to buy that book. I buy copies of duct tape marketing for two or $3. And so um, what we have done quite often with duct tape marketing is, is we'll acquire the books, still sell them for less than retail. Um, and, and, you know, they get a good deal. Gotcha. Okay. And so are you, so a lot of the, the pre-ordering of a book via a client it, you guys are fulfilling, you're taking care of that. It's not necessarily through the publisher uh, or does it depend on the, the deal? Yeah. It depends on the deal. I, I, I don't know why, but my first publisher gave me a great, great deal on, on that. Most publishers will not give you that kind of discount yeah. um, anymore. And frankly, you know, the, if you're going to traditionally publish a book um, and you're going to have somebody like Porchlight um, around, uh, for example, uh, my, my book right now, the ultimate marketing engines retailing on Amazon for one copy at 1799 uh, Porchlight is down around 1199 for any, any kind of quantity. So it really starts to get hard for, for me to have any interest in, in handling the books myself. So we, we pretty much send them there. And, and part of the whole launch game too, is, is you want to get as much reporting in, um, you know, to, to theoretically make a, a list or two or, or, you know, pop up uh, on some people's radars because they see you on, on a bestseller. Yeah. Well, that raises a couple of questions. One is that there is this idea, uh, theory that in order to be a speaker, one of the best ways to be a speaker is you write a book, you write a book yeah. and you become the expert. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there's truth to that? Well, you know, I wrote my first book in 2006 and the competition, quite frankly, in, in nonfiction was nothing like it is today. Uh, there are 10 times the books uh, being put out every month than, than what was happening when I wrote my first book. So I, at that particular time, I was building momentum online, but the book propelled me to a whole nother level, like two levels immediately. Yeah. Now, fortunately, it sold well and, and made some bestseller lists. So that obviously gets people's attention as well. But there's no question that uh, a book does have... Have some cachet. I don't think it has what it used to, uh, but uh, for you know, for if you write a book and it's a good book and people like it, um, it, it certainly can be uh, can be a great calling card for speaking or really even as a marketing tool, you know, for whatever it is that that, that your business does. 
The other thing about writing a book, particularly if you self-publish it, is you have so much control over how you're going to use that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you, you probably know Phil Jones. Do you know Phil mm-hmm. Jones? Yeah, speaker of course. Um, you know, he, he controls exactly what you say and yeah. has sold hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies. Sorry, Phil, if I've, <laughs> if I've shorted how many you've actually sold. But one of the things he does constantly is he repackages that book. So if the heating and ventilation and air contractors of America contact him, he can make a cover just for them. Yeah. Um, and then still sell it at a nice profit to them. They get the tangible thing. And so, you know, self-publishing as a speaker, it really gives you a lot of options to, uh, to package and do some creative things. Which leads me to my other question, uh, as far as how do you think about traditional publishing versus self-publishing versus hybrid? And so there was a time like you're kind of referring to, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago where self-published books looked self-published and there, it actually could hurt you in yeah. a lot of ways. And now the, the, the quality of self-published, you, you can't tell the difference. And so, right. uh, and the, the options that exist to help bring a book to market, uh, without going through a traditional publisher have, have changed vastly. And so yeah. how do you kind of think about what, what the options would be for a speaker today? Yeah. So, so it's not only the quality of the, of the book that you had no distribution was the yeah. other issue too. Now the Amazon's, the porch lights of the world, they'll carry a self-published book, uh, where obviously, uh, that wasn't, a, wasn't the case. So that's opened tremendous amount of, of, uh, opportunities. <sighs> You know, it's hard for me to say because I've only done self, or I'm sorry, traditionally published books. I like the idea of it. I like that they do the heavy lifting uh, in terms of print, edit, design, distribution. They have a sales team out there that they're getting the book reviewed. They're getting, you know, they're they're actually putting, um, you know, Harper Leadership is my publisher on this book. They're putting a fair amount of ad dollars in into the promotion. So, so they're a good partner. Now, what do I give up for that? I give up. The fact that, you know, my contract uh, calls for 15% royalty. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if we sell a million dollars worth of books, you know, I'm going to get a lot less than had I, you know, self-published. So the easy math on that to me is if you can sell, if you know confidently you can sell 10,000 copies, 5,000 copies, maybe even self-publishing is kind of a no-brainer from a monetary standpoint, uh, because you, you will recoup money faster than particularly if you're not a known uh, entity and you can't go to a publisher and get that six figure advance, you know, to write the book. I think self-publishing makes a ton of sense in that regard. I do think this is, this is certainly dwindling, but I do think that there is cachet behind saying, yeah, Harper leadership or portfolio, you know, is, is my publisher. Uh, Not what, not, not what it used to be. (laughs) Certainly uh, that cachet, but there's certainly an element of that. And then there's, there's, there certainly is the, the trade-off of, of them becoming, if you get a good publisher, uh, they become a part of your team. And if you're, you know, if you don't have great resources for, you know, and for, you know, an admin and, and, a you know, an editor and, you know, all the things that, that come into that, um, then, then you, you know, that you get that out of the published drought. Yeah. Uh, I know it may be a tricky question for you, but how do you think about into the future? You know, the eighth book, the ninth book, uh, assuming you're not uh, running the donut shop in, uh, in <laughs> Colorado that we were talking about offline. But uh, if if you're going to continue to publish books, do you yeah. think that there are options that would make sense to, to self-publish or do a hybrid option versus traditional? You know, I, I to, to some degree, it depends on the, the momentum that you have. Um, right now, people will be listening to this, the book will be out for a while. So we'll have some measurement (laughs) on how it's sold. But right now the, the initial 
uh, sales, the initial buzz has been very, very strong. Um, and so there may, you know, sometimes what happens is, you know, you have a, you have a hit on your hands. Duct tape marketing was a hit. I had publishers falling all over me to write the referral engine. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, sometimes that happens. I, I will say that at this point in my career, I'm not going to write another book just because somebody says they'll give me some money. Uh, I'm going to write a book because another book, because I feel like I have something to say. And so right now I don't have any idea what that would be. Yeah. What is your, what's your, your process typically like for, for working on a book? Like when, when do you know that you've got more than just an idea? Cause there's some things that you, you read the book and you're like, yeah, it's a nice blog post, you know, um, <laughs> right, right, right. but when do you know that you've got something like, yeah. nah, this, this needs to be a book. Um, I would say that my process is a little different than other people in that <clears throat> I'm working on stuff. And so, you know, I, it's like, I'm almost writing the book constantly, or I'm writing, you know, this is going to go in a book someday. This is, you know, this is a, yeah. a thing we've tested and it works. This is definitely going in a book someday. When I then sit down to go, okay, what's the chapter outline or what's the, what's the book going to look like? A lot of things already on the list. Um, and so then it's, uh, then probably the harder part is what's the big idea? What's the, the, you know, what's the narrative arc that's going to go through all of this? Because a lot of what I do, let's face it, is a lot of kind of practical tactics, mm-hmm. um, which are nice, you know, but I didn't, this book is not 151 ways to, you know, to trick Google into ranking you, you know, high on the sure. search engines. This is essentially a strategy book. And so there, in my mind, I, I didn't want to write a book. I had a contract, so I had to write a book. I didn't want to write a book unless I thought I had a big idea. And I, and I feel like, I, I feel like I landed there. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll see. It sounds like the, your process is less of a, okay, I've got a rough idea. Let me sit down in front of a blank piece of paper and more of this has all been, I'm, I'm working on this day in and day out with clients yeah. and just in my day-to-day work. And so yeah. when it comes time to, to create the book, it's more of a, of a curation process of what already exists and what you've yeah. already been doing. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that's pretty accurate. I'm very much a process systems thinker person. So we're constantly documenting things and creating process around everything we do. And so that does really help help the writing process, you know, because you've really got a lot of things kind of nailed down. It wasn't just something you told a client, Hey, here's a good idea. One day. I mean, you're, you're in the trenches actually making it work and training people on how to make it work. And I think that really goes a long way towards, towards fleshing out the writing. I mean, a lot of times, you know, all I have to do is get it down in a way that, that, you know, strings things together in a logical path. Yeah. Uh, again, the new book is The Ultimate Marketing Engine. John, if people want to, uh, especially speakers are, are, are intrigued in this, why should speakers read the book? <laughs> you know, I think that if my body of work or my life's work accounts, amounts to anything, it's that I have had a consistent point of view. Marketing as a system, strategy before tactics. I really get um, this whole idea of understanding the problem you solve. I think every speaker every speech should solve a problem mm-hmm. for somebody, somebody listening in, in the audience, or at least help them to find the problem. Because yeah. that a lot of times is part of the part of the problem itself is they don't know what the problem is. And so I, I think if you read chapter six, if nothing else, as a speaker, that, um, and, and, and then I really get into this whole idea of narrative versus, uh, versus storytelling, which is, I'm sure something that you do in teaching people how to make an impactful speech. I think it's true, basically, of the whole customer journey. I mean, we, we have to understand the people, we have to understand the story people are telling themselves already um, and then, you know, show them what that better world could look like. And um, so, so there's a lot of uh, uh, things that I talk about strategically in this book that would certainly apply when somebody gets down to how do I craft a a speech that people are going to talk about. 
Awesome. Very good. And uh, one thing that all good speakers do is they know how to open loops. And so you have just done that. I encourage people to go check out chapter six. So uh, John, if people want to find out more about you, find the book and uh, find sure. out what you're up to, where can we go? So there's a companion site for the book. It's just the ultimate marketing engine.com. Um, the book is packed with, if you get a copy of the book, we, because this is stuff we do every day, there's probably 80 or 90 uh, pieces of resource uh, that come with it, checklists, forms, templates, things like that, that'll help you with some of the action steps. If you just want to see what uh, what uh, duct tape marketing is all about uh, and what I've been doing for the last three decades or so, it's just D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. So duct tape marketing.com. Awesome. Always good to chat with you, John. You too, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.